This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. FirstNet, built with AT&T, is the only nationwide wireless network built with and for emergency responders, including Arizona physicians, nurses, and other critical staff. FirstNet subscribers get a great mobile experience with added security and peace of mind. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. And so if you understand what the process involves and you get ahead of it very early on, then yeah, I think you have a very good chance of sort of riding out those rapids and coming to a very positive, I say that loosely, positive conclusion of the complaint process. Welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is Edward Araujo, Managing Editor of Arizona Physician Magazine, and your host for today's episode. In this episode, we will discuss Arizona Medical Board complaints physicians may receive and what they should do after. Joining us today is David Williams, a practicing attorney in Arizona since 2003 and currently a partner and general counsel at Davis Miles, an Arizona and New Mexico-based law firm. He also chairs their litigation department. Mr. Williams focuses his practice on complex commercial litigation, real estate litigation, complicated business disputes, and represents professionals such as physicians and other healthcare providers before administrative review boards. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, thank you, Edward. I really appreciate being here, and we're looking forward to the discussion today. Great. You know, the Arizona Medical Board and Arizona Osteopathic Board and Arizona Regulatory Board of Physician Assistants was originally established by the Arizona State Legislature to be responsible for examining and licensing medical doctors, doctors of osteopathic medicine, and physician assistants in the state. All physicians, MDs, DOs, and physician assistants must adhere to their rules. The board accepts complaints from the public and self-reporting by licensed physicians. Uh, David, do you think the complaint and investigation process, which was set in place by the medical board to ensure thorough investigation and faster resolution timeframes for both patient and physician, do you see this process serving physicians adequately? I, I do. Um, and there's a couple of things before you can really understand how it serves thematically, you need to understand how the process works. Mm-hmm. Um, the stated mission of all of the three licensing boards that you just uh, that you just stated, the osteopathic board, the physician assistance board, and the medical board, their purpose is not necessarily to benefit the medical provider. It is designed to protect the public and the, the health of the, of the, of the medical seeking public. That's the mission of all of the boards. And so while um, the boards regulate the physician, the, the medical practice, they exist solely for the benefit and protection of the public. And so that's their mission, and that's going to be the attitude they take when they investigate complaints that arise um, against the practitioner. In order to really understand how it serves the physician, you need to understand generally what the process involves, which um, typically a complaint can come in from a number of different sources, whether it's a patient, a colleague, um, even through the National Practitioner's Database. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, it comes in from a lot of sources. And then when the complaint comes in, the medical board, first of all, has to assess whether it has jurisdiction over the particular complaint. After it does, then it prioritizes um, whether this is a complaint that deserves a a serious issue, which might result in some sort of summary action immediately against the physician, 
um, or the licensee. And then if it doesn't, they, in the prioritization practice, the medical board or the licensing board in particular will assign an investigator. The investigator will then reach out to interested parties, other practitioners, the complainant, gather information, gather what records they can. And then the investigator will send a formal notice to the licensee with a copy of the complaint. And in that, um, it will also include a records request. And then the licensee will typically, um, the normal reaction is to sometimes be scared, sometimes be annoyed, sometimes be angered. And it's in that moment where a physician needs to think just like they would be treating a patient, they're treating themselves. They need to think objectively and how they handle that. And that's nine times out of 10 where the first mistake is made um, because the physician wants to try to respond themselves or respond typically in anger, not thinking objectively about how their response is going to be perceived. And when they have to respond to that initial notice of complaint, that's the best time to get an attorney involved. It's also the best time to notify their insurance carrier. And we can talk about that in a minute. But um, once they get the complaint, they will then have to respond to it. Once they respond to it, then the uh, and they provide the medical records, then the investigator will com- continue with the review process. Um, typically, they will bring in a specialist if it's um, someone's if the licensee is in a is a specialist in a particular area, they will have uh, another specialist review the case and provide an opinion as to whether there was a standard of care violation. Then after that, the board has a smaller set of board, usually board staff and one person designated by the particular board to review the case and see what further um, where it goes next. Typically, at that point, you kind of hit a fork in the road, which is. Mm-hmm the um, the license, the, the medical board can administratively just dismiss the complaint if there's nothing there, or they'll typically refer it to a board meeting. And then the physician will go and appear at an, at an initial meeting of the board where the complaint is considered by the board. And at that time, the board can choose to resolve the complaint through what we call non-discipline, which is they can dismiss it. They can make the licensee go do some continuing education. Um, maybe they put a strongly worded letter in their file called an advisory letter. If they think, though, that there's something more that the that the physician committed what we call unprofessional conduct and in all of the board licensing statutes, there's a term called unprofessional conduct, which is what triggers discipline against the the license of the medical professional. Um, And so the the board actually has to make a specific finding of some sort of unprofessional conduct. And there's a lot of different things that result in unprofessional conduct. But if the board thinks that there's something that results in unprofessional conduct, then they can do a couple of things from there. They can bring the physician back in for what we call a formal interview, where under oath, the physician will answer questions. And that's to protect their due process rights because they have a license and they have a right to protect their license. Uh And so they can do a formal interview. And at the conclusion of that interview, um, then they can discipline the license of the licensee, which is anything from a decree of censure, which is basically just a public um, scarlet letter on their license. Uh, just a public uh, slap on the wrist is what I would call it. They can put them on probation. They can limit their practice. Um, they can do some sort of practice monitoring um, as as part of a probation. They can suspend the license. Or I'm sorry, at the end of the formal interview, that's the worst they can do is up to a probation. If they feel like it's more egregious, then they can actually send it out to a formal administrative hearing, which is like a trial in front of an administrative judge okay. and where witness testimony is presented and and that whole process. And then at the end of that process, then they can suspend or revoke the license of the professional. 
And, and you would be surprised, but those, those situations do happen um, in some circumstances. And then they, along that line, the physician can also enter into a settlement agreement. We call it a consent agreement for some form of discipline with the board. So that's the whole process. Mm-hmm. And so um, to answer the original question is, do I think it serves the process, the doctor and the, the physician assistant? Yeah, I do. When you're engaged and when you know how to how to handle the process appropriately. And so if you understand what the process involves and you get ahead of it very early on, then mm-hmm. yeah, I think you have a very good chance of sort of riding out those rapids and coming to a very positive, I say that loosely, positive conclusion of the complaint process. Uh, David, do you have any advice for physicians when it comes to how prepared they should be for those meetings with the medical board? So preparation is always the best thing. Um, and preparation um, could be in a couple of different areas. First is just engaging an attorney, frankly. A lot of practitioners think that sometimes a complaint isn't serious and they want to try to wing it or do it on their own. And just like a doctor would never perform surgery on themselves, mm-hmm. um, you would never want to go into this process without competent counsel because it is a legal process. And the outcome of that process can result in the in an extreme situation, the loss of your professional license and the loss of your ability to earn income and support yourself and support your family. So they need to be take the process very seriously. So first, engaging an attorney who practices in this area is, the, I think, the, the first thing they should do. The second thing is just knowing their records, maintaining their records, um, reviewing their records. And then the third part, which is counterintuitive, is to try to be transparent. If there really was, if there really was a mistake or something that could have been done differently, then acknowledge it. Um, this play, this right. process is generally confidential. The materials that are submitted to the board is con, are, con, are confidential under Arizona law. Now, the, the ultimate board meeting, those are public hearings, but the underlying information shared between the board, the investigator, and the physician are confidential. So if there's a mistake that was made, then sometimes it's best to just fall on the sword and fess up with the help of an attorney. And that's where an attorney can sort of smooth over the rough edges in that process. Can you share with us... Uh any type of metrics of success uh, for physicians, you know, using an attorney versus not using one? Sure. Um, I don't know that the the board keeps, I don't think that there's like statistics on that, but my personal experience um, Mm -hmm. has been that those that have an attorney fare better than those that don't. And it, and it happens on a couple of different one levels. One is when you have an attorney, um, you have someone that can help you process this objectively and can be a sounding board to deal with the emotional reaction that you might have as a licensee. Okay. Number two is I speak or the attorney speaks the language of the legal side of this process. Um, Someone who's versed in administrative law issues, licensing issues. And then the third thing is the other, the person that you're typically negotiating with on the other side at some point might be some, an attorney general. Um, The attorney general's office assigns uh, an attorney to each of the three licensing boards that you identified. And typically, if you have a good relationship with the attorney general, um, mm-hmm. you can um, try to negotiate, especially there's a, at some point where you have to maybe negotiate a consent agreement. That's where those are the three areas where I really see an attorney that can help you. Um, the other caveat is you typically want to just hire an attorney that is that understands at least a, has a base level understanding of, of medical jargon and can at mm-hmm. least read medical records, understand some of the basic concepts. And and there are plenty of those lawyers out there. The other thing I think that um, is a metric that sometimes gets overlooked is um, making sure you have insurance coverage. Sometimes you're, and you may not always have insurance coverage to defend you on one of these types of board complaints. Um, So the the other thing that you need to do is when you get one of these complaints, you need to look at your insurance policy and call your insurance broker first 
um, okay. that they might be able to, your insurance policy may have an, a, have a provision in there that lets the insurance carrier hire an attorney for you, or maybe you can select an attorney and get reimbursed later. But you also want to make sure that there's an insurance coverage because the other reason that you want to notify your carrier is sometimes a complaint by a patient is a precursor to a later lawsuit. And if you don't put your carrier on notice of a complaint when you become aware of it, you may um, have some coverage issues down the road when there's a civil lawsuit filed against you and the carrier may take the position that there may not be insurance coverage um, to defend you in a later lawsuit. So those are the two things that um, when it comes to metric is getting an attorney involved early, getting your carrier involved early. Those are the best two things that I've seen have a positive outcome for most of my clients as they work through this process. Well, thank you for sharing that. After the break, uh, we'll continue our discussion on board complaints. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arizona Physician Podcast. Are you a busy physician who's unhappy in your current practice but has no time to job search? Or is your administrator overwhelmed with work but you're short-staffed and looking for help? InSync Healthcare Recruiters is here to help. We are Arizona's trusted local resource for healthcare staffing. Our recruiting process is streamlined to respect your schedule. We can save you time, effort, and money. Call us today at 602-284-0991 or visit our website at nsyncrecruiters.com. That's nsync, I-N-S-Y-N-C, recruiters.com. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Arizona Physician Podcast. Today, we are joined by David Williams, an attorney at Davis Miles. All right, so let's get back to it, David. Um, You know, another aspect of complaints is self-reporting by physicians. If an incident occurs between a physician and a patient, or say a physician and a physician, then should the physician self-report? That's always an important question, it's, and it's always a tactical question you have to answer. Um, I think um, before you can answer that, you kind of have to look at the, there's two things you got to look at. One is where do complaints originate? And second, what are some of the types of complaints you see? So a lot of complaints originate either directly from a patient. And as I indicated a minute ago, sometimes it's just you've got a patient that is upset about an outcome, or sometimes it's they're, they're going on a fishing expedition because they want to file a lawsuit and they think they can get free information from the doctor as through the investigation process um, and maybe see. get some sort of adverse result with a medical board that they can later use. Sometimes uh, it, the source of the complaint comes from another referring physician. Sometimes it comes from the natural practitioner database. In a lot of those situations, especially I would say Um, You should always consult with an attorney before you self-report, but usually it's good to self-report as a way of getting ahead of something. Because if you can self-report and you acknowledge and you recognize that there is a a, a medical error of something, again, not intentional, but just mistakes happen. If you're aware of something, then it's always best to get ahead of that. And by doing two things, notifying your your liability carrier, and number two, getting an attorney. And then if you feel if after consulting with an attorney, we feel like, a self-report is in your best interest, then yeah, that's always a good idea. And the reason that's a good idea for self-reporting is it helps you get ahead of the process. And it also shows the licensing board that you recognize that there's something that could have been done better. They're more willing to show leniency when there's a recognition of something that you could have done to improve that situation um, versus someone who stands by themselves, even kind of banging their head against the wall because they feel like they're right when obviously the facts show that they're not. 
Um, nice. So when you can self-report, you're more likely to get some sort of leniency from the board during the licensing process or during that process. But I think it's also important, Edward, to look at what are the types of complaints that you see. And um, as I mentioned ago, under Arizona law, in order to trigger discipline, you have to commit unprofessional conduct. And that's a specific term defined under under each of the licensing statutes by the Arizona legislature. And it's a, it's a lengthy list. But typically what I see are what I call practice related issues, okay. failure to diagnose um, an issue, which um, is also a leading cause of a lot of medical malpractice claims failure or inappropriately prescribing or monitoring opiates or other controlled substances, incorrectly prescribing medication, actionable, viable, actionable violations of the physician-patient confidentiality, uh, not maintaining that, inappropriate behavior um, that may interfere with the interactions with the patients, failure to provide appropriate post-operative care, failure to respond to a call from a hospital um, if the patient is in a traumatic situation. Those are all the practice-related issues. Then you also get into things like substance abuse or um, you know, some sort of mental or physical issues with the doctor and in those situations or with the provider where um, it's not necessarily a practice-related issue, but it affects the health and well-being of the patient. Um, and then when it comes to things like substance abuse, you can have a whole podcast on things like that, but to... Um, if you are a, a practitioner who is who is struggling with something like either an addiction related issue or even a physical issue, the, the medical board has a program called the Physician's Health Program that is designed as a confidential way for a practitioner to get help. And it's um, it's not disciplinary. It's confidential. And it's a way for you to also avoid a more formal complaint later on down the road. So if somebody's dealing with something like a substance right. abuse trying to get ahead of them um, on that is always a positive thing. So those are really the things that I see um, when it comes to the self-reporting. And a self-report, getting back to that, is I could see a self-report definitely being something where you're dealing with a substance abuse problem. So you go to the physician's health program, or if you're trying to get ahead of um, maybe a complaint from a peer. Those are the two situations where I would definitely um, suggest a self-report. I see. Well, David, uh, most medical board complaints uh, are dismissed you know, my understanding is that the medical board comes under administrative law. Are there any complaints that get referred to criminal or civil law? So typically you're not going to see a referral by the medical board um, to a civil lawsuit. So let me talk about civil lawsuits for a minute. A lot of times the filing of a board complaint, either by an attorney or typically by a patient, the patient driven mm -hmm. complaint could be um, a precursor to a later civil lawsuit. Um, and it could be that the plaintiff's attorney, the patient's attorney wants to get what we call free discovery or free information that they could later use to support a civil lawsuit against the practitioner. So that's typically where you're going to see um, some sort of um, civil lawsuit following a board complaint. Um, the only time where you're going to see a criminal referral, um, typically the medical board will sometimes make its own criminal referrals, typically to the Arizona attorney general's office. Where I typically see it happening more is where a physician, again, not represented typically by a lawyer, um, goes into this process and makes certain admissions either under oath, in, under oath, like when we're doing a formal interview or at a formal hearing, or even when they're negotiating what we call a consent agreement, and they make certain admissions that can then later be picked up by, <clears throat> um, by the attorney general's office or by somebody investigating that. And here's where I will typically see those is typically matters involving insurance fraud or insurance billing issues. 
which the attorney general's office is really into investigating um, insurance fraud. And so, um, and there are medical board complaints that result from, from fraudulent billing practices. I also typically see it in the area of prescri- of medication prescribing, especially substance abuse, I'm sorry, excuse me, controlled substances or uh, pain medications, um, typically, and that sometimes overlaps with insurance fraud issues. Those are the two areas where I typically see, or the other third area would be um, aiding and abetting someone who to practice um, medicine who's not a licensed practitioner. Usually it might be somebody in your medical practice who um, is a former doctor or mm-hmm. or not a light or maybe they have an MD or a DO but they're not licensed and they're they're doing the things of a licensed physician. Sometimes I have seen those cases where a, a licensed professional is investigated by the attorney general for a, essentially aiding and abetting an unlicensed professional. So those are typically the three areas that I've seen. In those situations, it's always good to have an attorney because as I indicated a minute ago, you want to be transparent with the licensing board. There are times where you have to be guarded to make sure that the things you say don't come back to bite you in the end. And so mm-hmm. where I will see a the medical board not necessarily making the specific referral, it will be somebody, the licensee, the medical professional unknowingly makes a statement during this process that can come back to, to create problems for them down the road when a law enforcement agency starts an investigation. Those are the, typically the times where you really see problems coming back. Now, in those situations, when you get an attorney involved, you also want to try to get an attorney that may have some criminal law background experience or can work with the criminal attorney in the background um, to help advise the licensing attorney through this process. I see. That's great to great to know. I want to thank David Williams, partner and general counsel at Davis Miles, today for sharing his expertise with us. If you're interested in learning more about board complaints or have other legal questions, please contact Mr. Williams at 480-344-4047, or you can visit his company's website at davismiles.com. We uh, also want to thank uh, this episode's sponsors, Baba Sobers Wealth Management and InSync Healthcare Recruiters. And finally, thank you for joining us today. Please don't forget to catch this and every episode on your favorite platform from po- uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify to tune in. Are you a busy physician who's unhappy in your current practice but has no time to job search? Or is your administrator overwhelmed with work but you're short staffed and looking for help? InSync Healthcare Recruiters is here to help. We are Arizona's trusted local resource for healthcare staffing. Our recruiting process is streamlined to respect your schedule. We can save you time, effort, and money. Call us today at 602-284-0991 or visit our website at InSyncRecruiters.com. That's InSync, I-N-S-Y-N-C, Recruiters.com. Help to create the future of healthcare in Maricopa County, Arizona. Get involved by joining the Maricopa County Medical Society at mcmsonline.com join. Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, Our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework designed to give you the 
confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.